There is no one like you, God. None. Not even close. When I think of the greatest human beings that we are aware of in our history, there's still fallenness. There's still imperfection. But when I consider the story of you, God, that we learn throughout scriptures, your heart, your power, your character never changes. It stays the same, complete, whole, unhindered. Therefore, with the ever-changing whims of mankind, the, the true rock is you. And we can trust that. God, I, it is our prayer for this service that by the end of our time, the praises of our lips will be easy to say because we will say them towards you. You'll be the object of our love, the object of our adoration. So God, make your presence evident here with us. If people came in with deep burdens, may those burdens be set aside for the moment and just be in awe and wonder of who you are. If they came in with just their minds focused in on things that they've been doing or want to do in the hours to come, may those things be set aside and and truly capture the moment of standing before the creator God. And God, may every one of us If we came in with just a sense of numbness or maybe disconnectedness, that you would connect our hearts to you today, that we'd be aligned with you, and that we'll see your will for our lives, your plan for our lives, and then have faith that is increased because we acknowledge your power and your authority here on this earth. So we declared that in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. So we're going to be doing this service a little differently this morning. Um, we are basically, uh, I'm going to be getting up a couple of different times, and, uh, and there's going to be shorter periods of time. So it's not going to be two 40-minute sermons and two hours of service time. It's going to be a couple of uh, smaller broken down times because we want to close out this series on prayer uh, very meaningfully because it has been a joy to, as a congregation, and for those who have attended along with us over the last few weeks, to embrace the, the calling of God to say he wants to communicate with us and converse with us. And so um, in this time, I just want to remind you of some of the questions we've dealt with over the last several weeks uh, and, and that's how we basically have created the sermon schedule is through questions. So we answered such questions as this. Does God care to hear my prayers? That was the first question we even asked. Does God care to hear my prayers? Do my prayers matter? Do my prayers matter? Do they actually affect anything? How about... Should I give up praying if I've been praying a long time over something? Is that God's answer to just simply stop? Do we keep praying? How about when God doesn't? 
That was a question we answered on October 26th at a very difficult time in this community. When God doesn't. Can we hear God? Can we actually receive from him as part of prayer? Does God really expect us to pray for our enemies? Those who might harm you or hurt you or have hindered you? And is there really something to this idea of praying in the name of Jesus? Is there power when praying in the name of Jesus? We began this series with this text of Scripture, which is found in Philippians 4. We're not going to hand out Bibles this morning, but if you want to turn there, uh, you can do that. You can go to a Bible app and look this up. But I'm just going to read this quickly. The rest of the Scriptures are going to be up on the screen this morning. But this passage found in Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in every situation by prayer and petition, Present your requests, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So if there's anything that causes you burden, if there's anything that causes your mind to be consumed, if there's anything that that causes you to have to contemplate, If there's anything that brings you joy, if there's anything that brings you anticipation and excitement, if there's anything that consumes even the smallest minutia of your mind, God says, bring it all to me. Pray about it all. That's his heart's desire. So that was where we started the series is that God does care to hear our prayers, and he wants us to pray about everything. There is nothing outside the bounds of God's desire for which he wants to hear from you. A statement that we shared with you that one of our elders made, in fact, it was Ed Sherman who said it. He's the one who spoke last week, and it's this. You can tell a lot about a person's theology by the way they pray. You can tell a lot about a person's theology by the way they pray. Do they believe that God cares? You'll know by the way a person prays. Do you believe that God is capable to respond to your prayers? Again, you'll tell by the way you pray. Do you believe that God is invested in humanity? Well, you can tell by the way a person prays. Do you believe that God is truly sovereign and all-powerful and in control in spite of evil and suffering in this world? You can tell by the way a person prays. You see, our theology shapes how we approach God. And therefore, as our approach to God, prayer needs to be understood under this definition. It is a conversation between God and people. And just in the same way that conversation is two ways. It's both speaking and receiving. So it is between us 
and God. Now, I recognize in some relationships, there are some people that when they walk up to me, I know I'm going to have to listen long. And there are others that I, I, they might be a little awkward because they say very little. And so I feel compelled to have to fill the air. So I can be guilty the other way. But conversation involves two beings, okay? God and people conversing with each other, which means we speak to God and we receive from God. And just like in our experiences in dealing with some people, There are some people who talk long and God is used to it and he welcomes it. And God with other people, I'm sure he wishes to hear more from us. But I'm absolutely confident that God wants to be heard. God wants to be heard when we pray. As part of this series and answering these questions about God and the way he approaches prayer, we did outline as a result of dealing with these questions in prayer, theology as to who God is, the study of God, and, and basically beginning with this idea that, that, that in Scripture it says that God is indeed all-powerful and sovereign. He is all-powerful and sovereign. In spite of what it may appear to you and I with evil and suffering in this world, God is in control. He is all-powerful, and he is truly in control. A great context for this is found in Scripture in the book of Genesis in chapter 50, when Joseph had been sold by his brothers and sent into Egypt as a slave, and then the brothers lied to the dad and say that Joseph had died and been eaten by a wild animal. Joseph had evil that had caused his life to go into darkness, not his soul, but into bondage and as a slave. And then it was evil that caused him to be falsely accused and sent to prison once he was in Egypt. It was also evil that caused Joseph to be in that prison longer than he was supposed to when those who had committed an oath to him failed to honor it. Evil kept prevailing, so it seemed. In the life of Joseph. But when the moment happened when there was a great uh, a great uh, famine and and there was there was no food throughout the land, and his brothers came to Egypt to get food. What his brothers did not know is that Joseph had become the second in command in Egypt, therefore being the second most powerful man in that part of the world. They come before him wanting food. Joseph reveals himself to them. And what do you think their response would be? Oh my goodness, this is the brother we sold into slavery and we lied to our father about his status. So what do you think they would do? They cowered. They lowered themselves. They were fearful. They were in thinking they were going to be destroyed because he has the power to destroy them now. They thought they were going to die. And so you can, I'm sure that Joseph saw them tremble immediately. But here is the statement from Joseph found in verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about, to bring about many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph realized that while all this evil had prevailed around him, God's sovereignty still was in play. 
He was still in charge. He was still in control. And he was bringing about something greater than what anybody could have ever thought of, that Joseph would go from slave to ruler. But yet in God's foreknowledge, all this played right into his hand. As the enemy tried to, to show that Joseph had, had lost the favor of God, as the enemy tried to wage war against him, God just was sitting back there. He's like, you have no idea, Satan, what's about to happen. You have no idea what I'm about to do through Joseph. But nor did Joseph know. He had no idea what God was going to do. And so we can see in that moment that, that Joseph was able to see that God's hand had been a part of his life, even when evil seemed to prevail. We also know this about God, that while he knows all the past, now we know the past, but we don't know all the past. He knows all the past. He knows all the present, and he knows all the future. How else could have he allowed such a plan of evil to take place in Joseph's life unless he knew that what was going to happen? In fact, all the things that happen on this earth, God knows where it's going. And he has orchestrated the path to fulfill his greatest purposes. So he knows all things. And Combined with that, not only is he all-powerful and all-sovereign, and he knows all things, past, present, and future, but he is also fully loving. And that combination with the all-powerfulness of God creates problems for some people. Because how can an all-powerful and an all-loving God allow evil and suffering to happen? It is a very difficult question for humankind to be able to reconcile in their minds. But God is an all-loving God, and he displays it, that while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God in his justice made sure that the, the, the penalty due to each of us because of our sins was fully paid for. That now we have grace being offered to us. So God is an all-loving God. But another attribute of God that we often tend to minimize is that God is everywhere. Now you might think, well, no, no, I agree that God is everywhere. How do I minimize it? By pretending he can't see what you're doing. By pretending that God can't hear what you're saying. By pretending that God is unaware of your actions. You see, God is fully everywhere. He is completely aware of everything you are doing in your life. That can get unnerving when you realize God intimately knows everything. And here's the interesting thing. Not only does he know everything about what you say or done, he even knows the things that are in your head he knows the words that are going to be spoken from your tongue before you ever speak them. That is the knowledge of God. And that is the presence of God. And too often in our prayers, we pray defeatedly. We pray assuming that God has lost the battle. We are assuming that God is not present because all we see are the evil or the suffering that is around us. We don't see that God is at work, and so we pray defeated. 
And the reality is, is that's not the case. God is fully present. And God fully is operating with his knowledge of the past being complete, his knowledge of the present being complete, and his knowledge of the future being very complete. And based on that, that's why it makes a lot of sense to say, you know, God, here's what I'm praying for in prayer. But since I only have a limited amount of knowledge of the past, a limited perspective of the present, and have zero knowledge of the future, then what I'm praying for, let your will be done, not mine. Because I would want God to operate on the fullness of his capacity, right? Would we want him to operate by the limitations of us? No. And so in our prayer, we need to realize that God is way bigger, way more powerful, and way more invested than we ever give him credit for. The Israelites had no idea while they saw the miraculous happening around them as they're escaping Egypt. You can tell by the statements of Israelites that as they are caught next to the sea, they thought they'd been led by a man to the edge of the water, only to die. God provides a way through the sea. And then they realize, oh, maybe there's more behind this man. They get on the other side, the sea envelops the army of Egypt, and then what happens? They start experiencing hunger. And then they claim that we're being led by a man, not by a God. They start creating their own God and they worship him. A golden calf made of their own jewelry. So Israelites saw the power and manifestations of God, but they did not interpret it to be from God. They kept experiencing it and forgetting it. They minimized God's power. They minimized God's presence. And they minimized God's investment into their salvation. And so sometimes when we pray, we pray thinking small of God. And here's an important fact. God is way bigger, way powerful, more than you could ever imagine. And we need to start praying more boldly. It is with that in mind that we need to understand that we are limited. We are finite in our perspective of God. And we need to have a radical change of our perspective of him to affect our prayers and to change by the way we live in faith. Our faith needs increased. Elisha, who was one of the greatest prophets on behalf of God for Israel, Elisha was doing something pretty amazing at the time when the king of Israel was being chased around the country by the Arameans. The Arameans were a much larger force, a much more intimidating army. In fact, the Arameans had annihilated all the surrounding uh, countries, and Israel's the last one. Elisha would, would speak to the ear of the king of Israel saying, don't go to that valley. You'll be trapped there by the Arameans. A few days later, oh, don't go over here either because the Arameans are waiting for you there. Eventually, the king of Aram was getting very frustrated. He thought he had a traitor in his midst. 
So he goes to his counselors and he says, who of you, who of you have betrayed me that Israel seems to know all my actions? Then his counselor said, none of us, my Lord. It's that prophet of Israel called Elisha. Somehow he knows the very things you say in your bedroom. Now, is that a human possibility or is that divine? So the king of Aram was so infuriated that he gathered his forces and decides his entire army is going to go against Elisha, a single man. They surrounded the small town that Elisha lived in. Elisha's servant wakes up the next morning, and the text will be on your screen. So he gets up. He says, when the servant of Elisha got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? (laughs) Servant asked. Don't be afraid, Elisha responded. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So what did Elisha do? He prayed. He prayed, God, open the eyes of my servant so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of chariots and horses of fire surrounding them and protecting them. What if God pulled away the curtain just a little bit around your life? And you can begin to see the presence of the almighty sovereign God. The care that he takes upon his children where it's like, you want to get a mama bear upset? You'll see a mama bear upset. God is the father of us. He has claimed, he has spent more than anybody possibly could spend to claim you as his child. Do you think he would want to protect you? You better believe it. When the angels were created, they didn't multiply. They were created in one time. Only a third rebelled with Satan. Two-thirds stayed with God. If it had been the other way around, the winning army is still God's side because God's the ultimate trump card. But in this case, two-thirds of the angels, way outnumbering the fallen angels, are with God. And we know from Hebrews 1 that those angels, their job is to be ministering spirits on behalf of the saints. Therefore, the term guardian angels comes out of that context. So you have the creator God, the most powerful God of the universe, who says, I want to hear from you. I want you to come to me about everything. And that same God whose love compels him to do that is also the same God that is powerful and will protect you to the greatest end. And Elisha gives us the opportunity to realize that when life feels like it's caving in on you and you feel like the victory is going to the enemy or to evil or suffering, God has you surrounded with his protecting army. God is the one who is the victor, not the defeated. God is the one who controls the game, if you will, of life. God has our backs. He has 
our faces and what lies ahead, and he is beside us. And when we think he's not there, he is the one carrying us, and it's his footprints that are in the ground, not ours. These songs we sang a couple weeks ago to be able to declare the fact that, you know what, we're not alone. God is with us. He surrounds us, and he is the victorious, all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-caring, loving God. Let these songs resonate from our heart as we conclude this series and we begin to acknowledge the power of God in our lives. Let's stand as we continue to respond to God. It's just incredible love.
typically we seat or seated during the collection of tithes and offerings, but we're going to remain standing for this. I really want to do this as we declare the goodness and greatness of our God with this song. Let's remain standing. Let's give as we worship through giving and singing this song.
God is good. And that's one of the descriptors that he has. So in the count of three, I want you to speak out loud a descriptor of God that means much to you today. One, two, three. He is faithful. He is faithful. God, you are good. You are good and you make us good. (laughs) We need that because on our own and left to ourselves, we wouldn't choose that. At least not all the time. And so, God, we stand here as objects of your grace and mercy, seen in your eyes as whiter than snow. And we receive that because it can be found nowhere else. So we trust in you as being our good God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So if God is which we've just answered. He is powerful. He is sovereign. He is all-knowing. He is able to do anything based on his grace and mercy and his will. And he is all-loving. Therefore, we have much to anticipate with God. But let's look at this from the flip side then. If this is true of God, then what is his desire of us? Because in this series, as we've talked about this, this is about a relationship. This is about conversation between us and God, where God wants us to be drawn into his heart. His desire ultimately is for you to consider him the closest to your heart. That all other relationships pale in comparison to the relationship you have with the Father God. And so as a result, he wants us then to come to him about everything. All of our anxieties and concerns as what we read in Philippians 4. But here's the thing. Many of us tend to operate in shame or guilt when we approach God. I mean, think about what your Achilles heel is as far as your sinful nature. What is the sin you find yourself most often committing regularly over and over that you've had to go to God and confess again and again at some point you might begin to feel shame God I did it again I did it again I'm sorry and then maybe because you do it again after saying that you stop going to him And as a result, your relationship begins to wane. In Hebrews 10, it talks about this confidence that we're supposed to have to come into the presence of God. And there was a curtain that was in the temple that was built in Solomon's time. And then that curtain, behind the curtain, was the Holy of Holies. But he says, because of Jesus Christ, that curtain is no longer needed to separate the presence of God from mankind. But by the blood of Christ, a new curtain was established by which we can enter into the presence of God without fear of harm or retribution, but rather embraced and received when we walk through that curtain. The blood that Jesus shared on the cross becomes that curtain. We walk through that curtain, the blood, and it cleanses us, and and then God sees us as pure as snow, which is amazing to me because I know who I am. And I know what I'm not. And to think that I can enter into the presence of God, the most pure 
being in all of creation that I can enter into his presence without fear of retribution, without fear of destruction, without fear or feeling the shame and guilt. That is something that seems otherworldly to me. But yet, God says, I want you to come to me about everything. Remember what Jesus charged the disciples when asked, how many times should we forgive someone? Jesus said, 70 times 7. Basically speaking to an infinite number. Why was Jesus able to say that? It's because he does it. With you. With me. 70 times 7. I mean, what would the number be of the amount of times that God has forgiven you? But yet, God says, enter my presence with confidence. With confidence. To be with me so that I can renew you and transform you. Because God has a plan for your life. That plan may seem to be thwarted by your actions of sin. Or maybe by the actions of others. I mean, imagine yourself to be Joseph. Do you think he felt like God's purposes and plans were being fulfilled when he kept being betrayed over and over and over again? Falsely accused multiple times? I think my natural instinct would be to think God is really upset with me. I must have done something to tick God off. But yet, God had a plan for Joseph's life. Joseph just didn't know it. And the same is true for you and I, especially this side of the cross. God has a plan for you that he began on the cross. So Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. Some of us have lived a lot of years. Some of you are old. I'm not going to point out who, but some of you are old. And all I would say there is that God clearly felt like he needed more time to perfect you. Being confident in this, God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You haven't met Jesus face to face yet. So he's doing more work to get you complete. Others go earlier. I don't know if it's because God felt like their perfection came sooner or it's like they're never going to get there. So let's do it ahead of time. We don't know how God works. What we do know is that God does have a plan for each of our lives. And while evil may seem to abound around us and maybe even sometimes within us, God has a plan that he is going to carry out in you and through you. Do you believe this? And then he also desires for you to have, not only to enter into his presence with confidence, that he's going to love on you redeem you and purify you, not destroy you and ridicule you and hold your shame over your head. No, he's doing the opposite. But God also desires not only to have that kind of occasion with you, but he desires for you to have a victorious life. You see, I think a lot of us let the pressures of what goes on around us cause our faith to go dim. We begin to think, we begin to think that I'm not worth greater plans. 
we begin to think that God isn't going to do great things in my life again. That's a thing of the past. Or maybe we even begin to doubt if God's the same God that we read about in the Old Testament. Or that God is the same God of the book of Acts. When we read all those amazing things that happened in the early church, maybe God doesn't do that anymore. Sometimes we have to be reminded that God is the same God that he was when he spoke to Abraham, that he was the same God when he spoke through Elijah. He is the same God who said, and when Jesus came out of the water at his baptism, saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. This is the same God who said, through his son Jesus, he is coming again, and he's going to collect his own. It is also the same God who, by his Holy Spirit, said through the through the, the disciple John, saying that not only will I come again, but I am going to redeem a mankind that is from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Male, female, Jew and Greek, Gentile and beyond, young and old. God is going to redeem a people that he calls his own, and they will be ushered into eternity with him forever. There is a victory that is written throughout the entire scripture. Even when it seemed at the darkest moment in the Garden of Eden, victory was declared by God. Genesis 3.15 when he said that while the saint, the snake became a, a thorn into the side of mankind, eventually there will be an offspring that will crush the head of the snake. You see, God even knew before the mistakes of, in the garden that there was a plan that he had in place because he loved those he created. There is victory in God's tone, not defeat. But can you believe that he's the same God that you read about in these scriptures? Do you believe he is the same God that you read about in these scriptures? Do you believe he is the same God you read about in these scriptures? Do your prayers reflect it? Do your prayers reflect it? Do you believe that he is an all-caring God, that he is all-powerful, that he's not at the mercy of your and I's whims, but that he's actually in control and that he has a good plan about that he will bring to fruition and will bring victory in our lives, whether here or now, or later. Sometimes songs speak to this. I'm going to admit something to you. Back in May, before I left for sabbatical, I unknowingly hit a place that many of you are going to relate to, I'm sure. While I believe firmly in God and his promises, and I believed that he is at work now, and that I believe that he's leading us, he's leading me, he's leading this church, I believed all those things. But I hit a place where I just needed to... See him do it again. Been there? 
God, if he's ever worked powerfully in your life and you've experienced it, and you hit that place where it's like, man, I remember that in my past, but it's been a long time. It's been a long time since I've felt the power of God. It's been a long time since I've seen God use me in the life of somebody else. It's been a long time since I've seen God display his incredible power before my eyes where I could testify to his amazing work and character. And we just come to that place where we just need to see it again. And I hit that place back in May unknowingly. And it became evident to me when in preparation for the first Sunday, I wasn't going to be here. My wife was on worship teams uh, that Sunday, and she was practicing the song that we're about to sing. It's called Do It Again. And I'd heard the song, I think, on the radio before, but it never really stuck with me. But as I'm hearing her practice, I realized I needed God to do it again. I go to Israel. I'm walking in Jerusalem through the markets. And all of a sudden, as I'm walking through the markets, I hear that song, Do It Again. It's like very profound. It's like, wow. The Lord reminded me that I needed to see him at work again around me. Then I come back, or then I leave for Azerbaijan, and, and somebody posted the song on Facebook, and I, I'm not regularly on Facebook, but I happen to see it, and then that song's right there, and it's like, there it is again. God, I guess you're reminding me, I, I need to see that you're at work around me again. I come back from Azerbaijan, I visited my first church, while I was away, because I, I had a plan to visit five different churches, and and so I went to this church, and and the second song they did was, "Do It Again." It's like, okay, Lord, I guess I need to hear this. Went to another church the next week, heard it again. Went to another church the next week, heard it again. Went to of all places. A godforsaken place called where the Philadelphia Phillies play baseball. I'm sitting in left field and I hear the song, Do It Again, over the loud system. Because one of the baseball players had that as his walk-up song. And I remember just throwing my hands up in the air and saying, I can't even go to Philadelphia and watch a Phillies game without God telling me. He wants to show that he's still there and working. Then it became an anthem. Instead of being like a reminder, it now became the song of my heart. I didn't share this when I came back from sabbatical, but on like the fourth Sunday, once I was back, which was only the second Sunday I spoke, we did this song. And for me, it was a testimony that God is still at work, He is faithful. And he wants to show that he's the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The same God who chose the unlikely 12 to do amazing things. And the same God who chose Paul out of his life of trying to eradicate the church to become the greatest advocate for the church. That same God is active today. And he's doing it again, even here and now. Let's receive this. Maybe it needs to become a provocation to your heart. 
like it was for me for the first two months. But maybe for some of you, it's the anthem of your heart because you see God is at work around you. Will you join us?
So we praise him. We praise him for his great name. For in the name of Jesus, much can be accomplished. We praise him for his great power that's displayed in the name of Jesus. We praise him for our redemption. Amen? Amen. We praise him for our forgiveness of our sins. We praise him for being active even when we do not see him. We praise him for orchestrating his mercy and grace, knowing the trials are to come. We praise him for speaking to us. We praise him for listening to us. And we praise him for surrounding us with his protection. And we praise him for giving us power in Jesus' name. There is power in that name. And we are going to end this service with proclamation of praise. It should be the first thing on our lips. That if we realize that our God is fully active on our behalf and that he is present everywhere, then why should we not praise his name? If we don't, God says the rocks and the trees will cry out. I don't want the rocks and trees taking my place. I want my lips, I want our lips praising the name of Jesus. Come on, let's respond to him this morning. Let's give him that praise.
says this no one is like you Lord you are great and your name is mighty in power first chronicles chapter 17 verse 20 there is no one like you Lord and there is no God but you as we have heard with our own ears Exodus 15 11, who among the gods is like you Lord who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. 1 Samuel 2.2 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. So we go forward in faith. And expectancy that as we pray, we have a loving God at work. That as we pray with expectancy, He is at work and we align ourselves to His will. I trust that these weeks on prayer has encouraged your heart and challenged you to know God more personally and experiencing God relationally each and every day. If you'd like to pray with someone after the service, we'll have people underneath the cross over here, or there'll be others up front here. We'd be glad to pray with you. But the best way to go out is to do a reprise of that song. When that song is over, you'll be dismissed. But let us end by declaring that praise one last time. Come on, let's lift this up, church. And don't praise the name of the Lord.